Will you all turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 27. Continuing our study on the cross, Matthew 20, 27. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. The Lord was just given a lesson prior to this on really humility and how the, the child of God and the servant of the Lord is to be, how we're to view ourselves, how we're to live and to be. I'll read it again. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. That is not how the world views being a chief or king or prince or governor or ruler or uh, a person of authority. And that is not possible without faith in the Lord and without uh, dying to ourselves. Because no matter how pitiful we think we are or whatever, we want to to be in control. We want to be in a place of authority over others. And God's route, I guess you would say, His way or means of making men have dominion and leadership and authority is in a place of humility. Who humbles himself will be exalted, the Bible says. And one of the ways we can humble ourselves is by not coming around seeing who can serve me. Who can I talk to or charm into because of my personality or my power or wealth or physical strength or whatever? Uh, who can I get to serve me? Rather, God's way is that we be a servant of all. Not a servant of sin, of course, but a servant to men. And He exalts such a one. And this is, this is by the cross. And this is, we're coming to uh, close to the end of this book, this study on the cross. And we're going to talk tonight about the cross in relation to being in a place of authority. And it seems like those would be two opposite extremes. But the cross and how God uses it to put us and help us to walk in authority and in victory, even among people as He would have us to. And in, in victory over all of our circumstances. The worst of the worst, the biggest trial of your life, the biggest disappointment of your life, to still be in a place that we're more than conquerors to Him that loved us. It is through the cross and daily dying and taking up our cross and following the Lord. I'm going to give a story that I read or an account that I read in this book. There was a, uh, no dates are given, but there was a missionary who was talking about an account among these African tribes, a Christian missionary. And the chief of this particular tribe, a very large tribe, had given his life to Christ. He was born again. He's the chief of the whole tribe. And there was only about uh, a dozen in the whole tribe that had given their lives to the Lord. And the chief was one of them. And not long after he had given his life to the Lord and a few others had, the tribe's people poisoned him and killed him. They, they were not Christians, most of them. And so the missionary's talking to the chief's brother. And he says, well, have you considered taking the position as chief of this tribe? And the brother says, yes, I prayed about it. I believe I should accept the position. And the missionary was a little bit uh, surprised. And he says, but do you realize the risk that involves? Your brother was just poisoned solely for the fact that he had given his life to Christ. 
And this brother of the chief says, yes, I know. And I don't know what day I may be poisoned. He says, but what a wonderful opportunity to serve my God and to serve the people. And so he obviously had become a Christian and he humbled himself, I guess you would say, and became a servant to the people, even knowing what it very well could cost him. And so we read that scripture, whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Let's back up and and read a little bit. Verse 25 of what we were just reading. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and here's the cross, and to give his life a ransom for many. The cross is in all of it, y'all. The cross is in everything. It's not a, this is not a, a religion or a, uh, a thought of just, it's just death and, and despair. I said this months ago. It's the point of dying to self, okay? dying to self that the life we would live would be the life of Christ living in us. It's not just a gloom and doom of just death, death all the time. I mean, Paul says, I always bear in our bodies, my body, the, you know, the, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, we're always as apostles turned over basically to death. And he was. He was stoned. He was beat. He was in prison. He was, he was cursed and he was defamed and he was ridiculed. Uh, but it wasn't the point of just gloom and doom and despair like some gothic movie that's all dark and death. It's the point of only thing we're dying to is sin and to self. Self. That got us in trouble in the first place, right? We're children of Adam and that sin nature that's in us and in self still tries even though we're believers, tries to usurp and reign and rule. So don't think of it as gloom and doom. We're talking about the cross. The cross was was where Jesus died for our sins to free us from sin. So I need to stay attached to the cross in that sense. And that's why Jesus says, if any man will come after me or follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me daily. So he's not talking about gloom and doom. He's talking about we want to walk with Jesus. Do we want the victory? Do we want to be the head and not the tail? Do we want to live in a very real sense as as more than conquerors in every circumstance and situation, it's going to be as we die. Kingship and authority in God's kingdom uh, is conditioned upon sacrifice and serving the Lord. That's the one that the Lord exalts. That's the one that gets it, so to speak, and understands and understands that he's a servant of the Lord. In order for me or you to have any kind of position or authority in this life, I'm talking as as a Christian, as a believer, we have to be under authority. And I know that you know that account in the Gospels where uh, that Gentile, that Roman centurion came beseeching Jesus, and he says, uh, my, My servant who I love is at home sick at the point of death. And Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. You know the, the story. And the man says, Lord, I'm not worthy 
Now this is a man of great authority. A centurion by definition has a hundred men under him. Okay? Uh, and he had a prominent position in, and he had servants and so forth. He says, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof to my house. So he, you see a great humility, but he's in a position of great authority. And he, like I say, he got it. He understood that. And he says, just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. And the Lord turns to those with him who are Jewish people for the most part. And he says, I've not seen so, so great a faith. He says he marveled. He had not seen such great faith in, in all of Israel. Don't even come just from where you are, however far away that servant is. You just speak and he'll be healed. And that is what took place. The Lord says that's going to it's going to be according to your faith. But he said, I'm a man of authority and I have people under me. I have servants that do what I tell them to do. I got soldiers that do whatever I tell them to do. And I know that you are the Lord, basically saying, and that sickness or death has to go from my servant because you are the authority. I'm under your authority. That's where receiving authority from God comes from being in submission to God. Not just in pretense, we go around hanging our head and saying, look how humble I am, but really serving God and serving others, rolling up our sleeves, whether that's counseling, ministering, soul winning, being a servant, that a lot of times people never see 99% of what you do and you do it strictly for the Lord. God sees. He is going to put, give us a name and a position and authority. And it's greatly esteemed in the Lord's eyes. Amen. That's where we want to be esteemed. All the other honors and accolades and powers that be are all going to fade away to nothing. The world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of the Father abides forever. And so that's God's path. There was a that poet, poet Homer who says all kings are shepherds of the people. And so you think about our king, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is also calls himself a good shepherd. He also said, as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. That is the price that's paid to redeem slaves from their slavery. To give himself a ransom for all. And think about just not every man in the Bible, but those there are a few notable shepherds in the Bible that God put in positions of great authority. I think of Moses. He was tending sheep in Midian uh, out of the sight of Egypt, out of the sight of people by himself for the most part, a lonely job, tending sheep. And he must have done it very well. The Lord called him to be the deliverer and then ultimately the shepherd of his people, shepherding them 40 years and interceding for them and praying for them and burying them, he says, like a mother would bear a child through the desert. Okay? A shepherd, and God promoted him. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy uh, that there, Moses was the most meek man on the face of all the earth. You see humility, being a shepherd, being a servant, uh, and God promotes him and puts him in a place of authority. I think of King David when he was a young boy, maybe a teenager, we don't know exactly. Uh, God anointed him through Samuel to be king, but at that time he was a shepherd. I think he went back to being a shepherd even after that anointing. And he, he recounts how he laid down his life for the sheep. He didn't die, but he was willing to die. He fought a bear and another occasion a lion with his bare hands or whatever he had in his hands. And God delivered those 
into his hands and he was able to rescue the sheep. He wasn't just a hireling. Okay? That was God's path to being shepherd of his people. And the king, think about it, the Lord chose to be called the son of David and he's setting up his throne and, you know, and that, that lineage and so forth forever. I mean, when the Lord comes back to the second coming, he, he's coming as the certainly the son of God, but he's the son of David. He, he has tied himself to that to that name and he was a shepherd. And so um, we we if we're going to serve the Lord and be in positions of authority, we have to be in subjection to Christ. And don't look at it as being some horrible, miserable thing. We say it all the time. Look at it as my, my good shepherd's working on me. He's, he's the potter on the clay. He's doing something in me. I, I promise you I'm preaching to myself tonight. I need this tonight. It's not poor me. It's the working of the Lord making us more like Jesus if we'll let Him. And I want to say here tonight, Lord, I want to let You. You know what I mean? I want to let You work in my life. Think about it. Adam, Adam in the garden, the Lord said, Let's, let us make man in our image and let him have what dominion over the fish and the birds and the beast and everything. Let him have dominion. And he put him in that position. He began walking in that dominion and authority not to abuse. A lot of times we think dominion means that we're just some cruel taskmaster like the Egyptians were beating the slaves. Dominion is a place of authority under God. Okay, And so he was walking in that and he forfeited it and gave it up. And as our per- perfect representative, the first Adam, he gave it up for us all and that all have sinned, right? He forfeited that authority by one act of rebellion, of usurping God's authority, eating from the tree that he was forbidden. So what did he do at that moment? He was not under authority. I'm eating of the tree. I decide that I want to eat it. I will eat it. My one that's over me told me not to eat it, but I'm discarding all of that and self rose up, okay, ate of it and he forfeited. He was no longer in that place of dominion. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to work and get food and he dispelled him from the garden and uh, it, it's, you know, we've seen the results of sin in creation and nature and, and certainly in the human race ever since. But man forfeited that and basically dethroned God. That's really what happened. Dethroned God from the position he should have. And then man himself became a slave. What kind of slave? Well, Jesus says very clearly in John chapter 8, whoever sins is a servant of sin. That word servant there means slave. That's why the Jews were so angry and they said, we're Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage to anyone. They, they were wrong. They were wrong. He says, whoever sins is a, is a servant of, of sin. So, in a, in the one that's enslaved himself to sin is in a no position, in no position to reign in authority as a king or have a position of authority. We have to first be free from our own sin and be in subjection to Christ. And so, man, if there's one thing that man loves more than anything else, it's himself. If there's one thing that man loves more than anything on this world, that's what Satan, you know, he went tempted, went before the Lord and was going to tempt Job. Oh, he'll give anything to preserve his own life, God. And the Lord says, well, test him. You can't, you can't kill him, but you can do everything short of it. 
And he, he says a man's going to give everything for himself. And the man, what man wants is to have his own way. It can be disguised. It can be painted up nice, pretty picture. But men want to have their own way. They want to have their own way all through life. And that's not putting it. That's not a mindset or a heart set that fits us to be in authority on God's not in God's way. You look at a bunch of these big, uh, you know, di- uh, dictators, I guess you'd say, through the history of the world and conquerors. They wanted to have their own way and they may have taken it by force and by, by guile and tricked people. But in God's kingdom, it's going to be as we go to the cross and let Him work in us because it's gonna, He says, I'm meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Take my yoke and learn of me. This is part of the cross and learning of Christ. Boy, I want my own way right here. We might bite our lip. We know as a Christian we're not supposed to act that way. But really the Lord wants to deal with it in our hearts to where we resign to His rule. We resign to the rule of Christ and we do it willfully, gladly, joyfully. And so... Um, it's not it's not brute force in God's kingdom. It's, it's not brute force. He's taken the weak things to confound the wise, and so for the foolish things of this world, uh, brute force is nothing to the Lord. Power belongs to the Lord. And what the Bible says, it belongs to Him. He lifts up the aisles. I'm reading this from Isaiah 40. He lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. It's just nothing for the Lord. He speaks, and the worlds are created. We're not going to impress Him with brute force. But we, we, we surrender to the Lord, to His authority and Lordship, then He can place us in a position of authority and power. Now think about it. How could, how could God get men to be enlightened to, to this extent, to come to Him, to gladly surrender over to the Lord without brute force? Because it really wouldn't bring God the God of love and so forth, any glory to compel men to be his servants, right? Think about it. He does not. I don't agree with Calvinistic theology and so forth. I believe God is sovereign, but he, in his sovereignty, he gave men a free will. He's no less sovereign because he chose to give men that he created in his image a free will to choose or to reject Christ. Okay? So, the power and the victory that win men to the Lord is not brute force. He doesn't take us and, and stomp us under His heel and, and just make us like robots bow down. That's how Islam converts people, right? I mean, some may willingly go there, but a lot of people, they, they don't care if you're sincere or not. Just confess whatever that confession is or, or you're going to be beheaded or killed. And you're converted. You're a Muslim now. You'll live under Muslim rule. God doesn't work that way. He woos men. He draws men. He presents the truth to men. He presents Christ to men. He convicts of sin by the Holy Spirit. He shows us through the Word of God that Jesus died for our sins and the Holy Spirit's bearing witness that these things are so and true. And even then, even when we realize it all and see it all, 
and that I'm a sinner deserving of hell and on my way there, but for the grace of God, even at that point, the man has a choice to make. Man can believe it all and know it all to be so and still not surrender to the Lord. That power is not brute force, it was by the cross that Jesus won the victory. Think about it, it was by the cross. Totally opposite of, of any way that we would think of a man coming to be the, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He came and laid down his life. And so the Lord still deals with us by the cross, but he has to do it in a sense. He has to, I'm not because not I say so. He has to do it according to his word and his own nature. He has to do it without overriding man's free will to choose. Old Testament, choose you this day whom you'll serve. In the New Testament, right? If any man will come after me, if we confess with our mouth, if we be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. Uh, you can't, Paul couldn't make uh, Felix give his life to the Lord. He came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit when he was in prison and he was testifying of the righteousness and temperance and so forth with Felix. Uh, he couldn't make him get saved. The man had a choice. He came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So God's victory is still by the way of the cross. And it's going to be our way. And I want to read this little, just a couple of lines of this poem. O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. So we talked about the first Adam who forfeited the God-given, it was God-given authority and dominion that God gave him over all of creation, over all the beasts and so forth. And it was all, everything was to basically serve him and for his pleasure as long as he was submitted to the one that was over him. He forfeited it by sin. A new Adam, the new Adam, of course, is Christ. The Bible tells us very clearly that this is the new Adam and he's the head of a new race he didn't come, he says, to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And so he was not himself um, under sin. He died for sin. He wasn't a slave to sin like we are. And he, was, he delighted to do the will of his Father. That's what the psalm says. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. And so he demonstrated to us. Now, I know he's perfect and sinless. And we're not, we're not God, nor will we ever be God, although we've been redeemed by the Lord and a partaker of His nature, or a partner, or associate of His nature. He uh, is the perfect example of loving obedience to the Lord. There's not a better one. In everything where He could have in Himself enforced uh, His will, walked in His own will, He says it over and over, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of him that sent me. And, and there's a mystery of godliness. He did it as a man. He did it still 100% God and 100% man, but he did it. He walked in joyful obedience. And the, the highlight of that was in the garden and that surrender. And then the next day, dying on the cross for the sins of the world. Loving obedience. Not God taking us and sticking our face down in the mud but Him showing us the love of God, showing us our own sinfulness, showing us that there's a judgment to come. Uh, 
and, and bringing us to Him, and we want to need to come and die. He, he went forward, and He went forward all the way to the cross. One man says He took the cross as it had been a crown. He took the cross as, as though it was a crown. He embraced it, right? The Bible says He endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before Him. And so he, he didn't do it in misery. It was, it was agonizing as far as what he went through, but he willingly chose to do it. And he knew what was coming afterwards. And he, he did the will of his father, and that will was death. He died rather than sin. He died for sin. He died unto sin. And the self-life has to die. That's all we're saying here tonight about the cross. The self-life of men, even saved men, I would say especially saved men, because we understand it, and we're to come and let the Lord work in us to bring that death in us. And so that's the working of the cross in us. Amen? If man, if a man can, can see all that Jesus has done and, and still want to walk in his pride, and still want to walk in his self-life, uh, there's not a whole lot, there's not another solution other than the cross, I guess is what I'm saying. Even for a believer. And, and believers can give their, they make the profession and it's genuine, they believe the gospel and they give their life to Christ, but somewhere along the walk, the Lord's requiring a greater dying for them in their selves and they say, I'm not, I'm not, wanting to do that basically said I want to go to heaven I want to I believe all the gospel and everything but I, I want to keep much of my own life intact basically I know lots of people like that I know I have been that way in my life and I can tell you from experience but even forget my experience you know from the word of God that doesn't work you don't that's why there are scriptures like if any man will come after me, right? Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Many scriptures like that. The Lord didn't come to redeem part of your life. He came and redeemed all of your life for all of your days. All of your goals, plans, pursuits, dreams, all are put to the side. He may give some of those back sanctified, like he gave Isaac back to Abraham. Okay? But Abraham still gave him, didn't he? It was a genuine giving. It wasn't a pretend, oh, God's going to... He knew that the Lord could raise him. So we know that the Bible tells us that in Hebrews. He had faith that God could raise him from the dead. But he still gave him. It was a genuine giving. And so uh, we can't come to the Lord and come to the cross and say, I'll, I'll, I still want to keep so, so much of this. Lord, let me keep this part of my former life intact. Let me keep all my old friends let me keep all my, all my money. God may let triple your money. I don't know what he's going to do. But I know it needs to be given to him. You understand what I'm saying? You might keep all your friends. They might all get saved. But he wants you to give them to him. You might keep your children, but he wants you to give them to him. Give them to the Lord. Give yourself fully to the Lord. Don't let there be anything that you say, not this, Lord. I'm going to keep this little part as mine and I'm keeping it intact. You're not fit, nor am I fit, for reigning in God's kingdom and having a position of authority in His kingdom while we're hanging on to those things, even if they're good things. 
give it to God as he shows you. You know, there's a one big, I think when we get saved and surrender to the Lord, there's a one big giving of everything. But then there's things we realize that he convicts us of or shows us as we walk with the Lord down the path. You know what I mean? Like I've talked about, I can remember giving up friends specifically, worldly friends, good friends. They give you the shirt off their back, uh, helpful friends, loving friends, but lost friends. I remember giving them up to the Lord. I remember giving up uh, certain music. I remember giving up uh, things like that, monumental things they were to me, okay, after I was saved. And so God will bring us to those things, and we'll, that'll be like a little river we have to cross. God will help us, okay? I promise you he'll help you. And he'll help us. There'll be more bridges that I have to cross and more that you have to cross. And we can't at any of those bridges say, no, Lord, not this. It has to be, yes, Lord. Yes, I'll give my Isaac, the son of the promise, the one I waited 25 years for, the one that you said all the, I'm going to be the father of many nations. And, and all, all the, seed, children, the seed of the earth is going to be blessed through my seed. I'll give him to you, Lord. You know, you have to, to do it. And then we see what the Lord gives back. That puts us as kings, basically. That makes us kings with God. Maybe people don't see it, but the Lord sees it. And he puts us in a position where, of authority in his kingdom. Maybe we have authority, you know, commanded demons to come out. Maybe we have authority over sicknesses. Maybe we have authority, uh, you know, that God would use us to bring revival to some city or town or nation. But it's going to be the one that's, that's yielded, joyfully yielded. doesn't mean it's easy, but it is a joyful, my own decision. I'm yielding this over to the Lord. He does not usurp our authority and force us. He may do some, some significant things, but we still have to say, yes, Lord. And we need to say, yes, Lord, with great joy. So I was thinking about this. We're not going to be too much longer, but uh, Christ takes captives. How does he take captives? Alexander the Great took captives this way. Pharaoh took captives this way through might, through force. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, we read in the Bible how he took uh, Judah and Israel and took the people captive and burned the temple and the city and took all the gold out of the temple and everything and carried it all away back to Babylon for his own pleasure. How does the Lord do it? He takes captives at the cross. Whoever will submit, whoever will surrender, whoever will believe and, and take up their cross and follow, that's the one. That's the one that becomes his captive and we're so glad that he took us captive. You know what I mean? We're glad that we belong to the Lord. We're glad that Paul says, I'm willingly a bondservant, a bondslave for the Lord Jesus Christ. He counted everything prior to that as dumb. He was in a position of great authority, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And, and all that going for him, he counted that as nothing to be a captive of the Lord. I love a quote from this book. It says, Calvary eclipses all the power of all the thrones of the world. Calvary eclipses all the power of all the thrones of the world. What earthly power can dethrone self and unroot a man from the throne of his own heart? What could, you know, people can 
kill you. They can take you captive. They, can, they can't unroot, nor can you unroot yourself from being your own little king. What other power can do that? The Lord can. As we say, Lord, I can't even do it myself, but I, would you do this in my life? Would you come and reign in my life? I don't even know how to dethrone self. I know I need to. With men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Think about it. There's not a greater power. I say it all the time. Uh, flooding the earth in the, in the fl- flood in Noah's day or speaking the worlds to existence, there's not a greater miracle when you really get down to it than a man giving his life for Christ and meaning it. Because it has to do with the will. Even in the tribulation period, y'all, when, when God's pouring His wrath out, men are shaking their fists at God and cursing and still not bowing down to Him. Angels are flying through the atmosphere saying, repent for the wrath of the Lamb of God is at hand. Uh, there's the t- tribulation you know, witnesses and people, that, the two witnesses that are sharing the gospel and so forth. And it says, for all this, men do not repent of their murders, their blasphemy, their idolatry, their sorcery. doesn't mean nobody gets saved because there are some tribulation saints and martyrs. But for the most part, men, it's the will of man is a strong thing. To shake in his little puny fist that almighty God who loves them and refuses to repent. That's why I say in that sense, there can't be a bigger miracle. You share the gospel with your uncle, your brother, whoever, and they say, you know, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And they mean it. And they give their life to the Lord. There's not a greater miracle than that. And we need to keep praying for that. God is still saving people today. Amen. But He is the King of Kings. And, and it's, he, he conquers by the way of the cross. And so um, never, never could anybody lay hold on the heart of man like Christ lays hold on the heart of man. Amen. And, and only he does it. He, he won that victory through the cross. And so Calvary makes us kings, I guess you would say, in the Lord's kingdom. It makes us priests and kings and people of authority. And I want to bring this to a, to a close. It's Stephen. Stephen was not one of the 12 apostles. He was a layman, we would call But what a layman. Those, those guys that were laymen, you know, Philip and, and Stephen and so forth, they were really the ideal picture of what a servant of the Lord is. They didn't have the name recognition. They didn't have the authority of the apostles as far as among the churches and so forth, but they had God-given authority. Uh, Philip was an evangelist. He's the one God used to bring revival to Samaria where the people saw the miracles that he did, believed his preaching, and, and, and great revival and joy came in that city. Stephen, we only know of one sermon he ever preached, and he was surrounded by a bunch of wolves. You know, we're, sheep, we're sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Stephen was surrounded in his sermon when he's preaching by a bunch of wolves. Not just lost men, but hate-filled, sin-filled men. And the, the stones that were being hurled upon him, I like the way this book says that they really fell upon the king. They fell upon the Lord. 
They were hitting him. But Jesus says, if they hate you, you know, know that they hated me before they hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. The world would love you just fine. Just go be a little worldly and you'll get along fine with most of the people out there. Take a stand for Christ. We're a king in his kingdom. We have a place of authority in his kingdom and in his family. And Stephen's taking these stones and they're really falling upon the Lord. They're, the persecution is really falling upon Christ. And that's really uh, Saul, who later became Paul. Saul of Tarsus was viewing this stoning of the man of God. And really, it was probably the first time he ever saw Christ in a person like that. It was probably his first uh, introduction, I guess you would say, seeing the fa- his face, Stephen's, to the people around. They, they noticed that his face shone like an angel. Saul saw that. Young Saul, this Hebrew of Hebrews, saw that. Now, it might have been many years, sometime later that he came to know the Lord, but still, I guarantee he remembered that. And that had a profound effect upon his life coming to the Lord. He, Stephen was in a position of authority. He was in a position in God's kingdom and his, his authority. And so God, I'm going to close with this, this um, thought that we can't be, there's a, there's a French proverb that says, he is not escaped who drags his chain. You're not really escaped if you're dragging your chain around with you all, the, all, all around everywhere you go. We really need to be set free. We're not reigning with the Lord if I'm still uh, bound up in sin. So we have to die to self. And if I'm living in the world and living in sin and dabbling in sin all the time, talking about how free I am in Christ, it's really not so. I'm really not free till I'm free till I lay it down and walk with the Lord. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying we're not we're not free to reign with the Lord. But I've talked about praying high, and maybe you've heard of him. He had an unusual life. He's called to be an intercessor. His ministry, he did preach and teach, and uh, he was in India, and that's where he lived and died. But when the physician was probing into his physical weakness, the physician was looking at him because he, he got very weak, and they were in India, and he became uh, a king, I guess you would say, in God's place, God's kingdom. He was a warrior for the Lord. He literally, the, I guess the x-rays showed, he literally prayed his heart out of position. His heart shifted. Physically, it shifted. And one of his friends from Calcutta had written a, a book about him. And he says, we've heard of martyrs who were kept in prison and in the end were put to death. But have we ever heard of one who was so given up to the ministry of prayer that the strain of a daily burden brought him into a premature grave? And one replied, no friend answers another brother in India, not a premature grave. It was the grave of Jesus Christ. John Hyde laid down his life calmly and deliberately for the church of God in India. And I, I, you know, that, that to me is reigning 
with the Lord. Consciously, deliberately, not out of some emotional, uh, rash decision, Jesus went to the cross all through the 33 and a half years of his life. Every time where he could have taken a detour, he, he gloriously and obediently went to the cross. And for us to reign with the Lord, I consider someone like John Hyde a king in the sense of in God's kingdom. Willingly and deliberately lay down his life for the Lord, consciously knowing what he was doing. The people would say, take a break. I read a, a biography. Uh, take a break. You, you're, you need to go get a sabbatical. You need to take a break. And he, he just kept shutting himself up in prayer for revival in India, for souls to be saved in India, for the missionaries and the mission work in India over and over and over. He got really weak from it. And they would beg him, you know, take a break. Stop. Come out of that prayer closet. But he would lock himself up. He wasn't crazy. He was doing what he was called to do, but he gladly embraced that life. You have to say he embraced the cross, right? I don't know how many people are saved as a result. I don't know how many missionaries were successful. I know there's wars in the heavenlies. There are spiritual battles that are won in prayer. Absolutely won in prayer. And this man prevailed. And he's with the Lord. Stephen prevailed. He prevailed, though he was martyred. He went out the way God wanted him to go out. He went out as a king. And if we're going to go out as kings and live in this reign as kings on this earth, you know what I mean by that, kings in the Lord's kingdom. We're going to have to die to ourselves a little more. A little more every time he shows us that's where we need to die and that's when we need to die. When he shows us something, Randy, you're, this, you're doing your own will and you're wanting your own will here. I don't need to fight the Lord. And I say, you're right, Lord. Give that over to me. Okay, Lord, I will. I'm going to need your help to do it, but I'll do it. Amen? And he'll help us. Steve, you can come. I'm closing with that, that thought, y'all. And so, it's a common theme for all these lessons on the cross. But I think every one of them has a wonderful truth and, a, and a, just a blessing to our lives. And I, I read about people like praying high and so forth. And it's so rare that we, we see them. But I don't think the Lord ever intended for that to be rare. I think the least of the saints could be so given over to the Lord that we'd be the next Stephen or the next praying hide and so forth. That God, God wants to use us in that way. It's not misery. It's joy. What, what better way could we spend our lives than being used for the Lord? Amen. And he needs, he, we need to be that for him in this hour. So, Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name.